It's found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 12 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 18. The Apostle Paul says, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure, to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our spheres, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. You may be seated. Well, um, this is really, if uh, you're there in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, this whole section, it's kind of a lengthy section, wasn't it? I thought you probably, some of you were probably wondering, wow, we're going to cover all of this? Well, yes, because it all goes together. This is all one cohesive unit of thought. And this is Paul's second major argument in defense of his his apostolic ministry. You remember 2 Corinthians, well, 1 Corinthians being really volume one of Corinthians, right? But 2 Corinthians is really dedicated to the defense of the apostolic authority of the apostle Paul. And it's not just the defense of Paul's authority, but it's more than that. It's also the preservation of the church. Paul knows that moving away from Paul's authority and moving away from Paul's gospel is to move away from the faith, is to move away from orthodoxy, and that is what he fears. He fears that these false teachers that have invaded into Corinth are leading them astray. You can see that quickly with me if you look at chapter 11. Chapter 11, Paul says in verse 3, I am afraid, so that Paul is gripped with fear. There is a threat here. There's a real volatile danger. I am afraid that as the the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. That, I believe, is what is at stake in all of this, is that the church is on, is on the rope, so to speak, and they are, they are wavering in terms of their allegiance. Are we going to follow Paul or are we going to side with these false teachers At the beginning of chapter 10, he gave us his weapons of warfare. And at the very end there, he says, basically, make things right. Look at verse 6. At the end of uh, chapter 10, verse 6, he says, We are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Now, what is that talking about? That is basically saying when the church is ready to side with Paul and with his associates and with the the apostolic tradition, if you would, he was ready to go and inflict punishment on those who were trying to unsettle them. And that's the false teachers that we're going to really look in depth at at uh, chapter 11. And so here, he's really going to expose 
what the problem is with the ministry of these false teachers. And uh, I've entitled this sermon, if you would, The Basis of Biblical Boasting. I think boasting is an amazing thing. Uh, What's amazing is that you find it all over Scripture. There is a negative connotation connected to boasting, a pejorative connotation where boasting is renounced, where you ought not to boast. There's uh, evil boasting, there's prideful boasting, there's arrogant boasting, and there's sinful boasting, in other words. But then there's another kind of boasting, and that is the type of boasting that Paul engages in all the time in, in the Word of God and many others besides Paul. But this is a boasting that boasts, as he's going to go on to say, only in the sphere or in the realm or in connection with the Lord. As we're going to see, this whole passage is going to come to a climax as Paul is going to sort of seal the deal by quoting an Old Testament passage out of Jeremiah. If you would, Jeremiah's passage, Jeremiah 9, 24, is kind of like a blanket over this whole text He who boasts is to boast in the Lord. It's not that all boasting is condemned. It's not that all forms of boasting are prohibited or are evil or are not right. But that if you're going to boast, be sure that you boast in the Lord. Now, we'll get back to a lot more of that. But at first, I want to point out to you several things that Paul gives us. Various descriptions of what ministry ought to be like and ought not to be like. And the first thing that he does, if you look at verse 12 again, he shows us the foolishness of a man-centered gospel or or a man-centered ministry, whichever you'd like, a man-centered manner in ministry. He says, for we are not bold to class or to compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. There's the foolishness. The foolishness is that they are so daring. Notice Paul's play on words, kind of sarcastic little tinge in what Paul is saying there. saying, I'm not so brave, so asked to boast in this way, to begin comparing ourselves with others and commending ourselves. Now, this is a very powerful argument if you've been following along in the book of Corinthians. If you go back, for example, to chapter 3, chapter 3 of Corinthians here, we get something of a clue of what's going on in Corinth, that Paul is probably being derided as seeking to present commendation from others. Look at what he says in verse 1. We are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He says, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? In other words, there were, there were those that were trying to impress the Corinthian church with human commendation. We say, well, we have approval from so-and-so over here in this city. Probably, if the Judaizers are in view in this text, in this book, probably they're, they're, they're saying, we have approval from the Jerusalem church, and here's our letters to prove that. You see? And Paul is saying, no, on the contrary, he is not like that. Paul's commendation, as we're going to come to find out, comes only and solely from God. So, it is the man-centered ministry that is foolish. As he says, they are without understanding, and this whole thing is really going to develop. And the whole reason why is because they have chosen a false standard of commendation. 
They say, well, we meet the approval of other men. If you would, all of these false teachers, they've built sort of a network of men that will rub each other's back and commend each other and backslap each other and, you know, and they'll, they'll clear each other and they'll vouch for one another, but none of them cares about the heart. They don't care about what God really thinks. And isn't that so true today? So many ministries are done with the approval of man in mind. Well, we're going to have a church that people like. That, I would suggest, is foolish. That is a, a, an example of a foolish model of ministry that you would erect the church in such a way as to try to please man. Because, as Paul tells us in chapter 5 of this very letter, every minister, every ministry will stand before the, the bema seat of Christ. They will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd, and they will have to give an account for how they engaged and how they executed their ministry. And if they did things only and solely for the approval uh, and the praise of man, they, their works will burn on that day. And so Paul, by contrast, he doesn't measure himself according to the standards of men. He doesn't compare himself with other men so as to say, oh, this is what they're doing. Maybe I'll do what they will do. But first and foremost, Paul was a biblicist. He wanted to know, is this pleasing to God? And that's the way all ministries should do. But more than that, it shows the pompous nature of these false teachers, that they have no regard to the ultimate bar of truth, God God, by contrast, Paul was a humble man, I believe. He came to them, and his manner of ministry was humbly, fearful, trembling, weak. They even, as we saw last week, they even criticized him for being so weak in his appearance. He didn't have a real flashy personality that everybody's going to like. They said his, uh, his speech is even despicable. In other words, he's not a very eloquent preacher. The great, I believe the greatest preacher probably that ever was, the Apostle Paul, was not very eloquent. Was not very eloquent. But Paul wanted to tell the truth, even if it hurt him. He wanted to minister the truth of God's Word at any cost. He didn't care what man thought about him. And there is a, there is a, certain, there is a certain element of that that is good for ministry, that you be not a man-pleaser. Let me just show you some texts here from Paul. Paul had a very humble estimation of his text, of, excuse me, of his ministry. He had a very humble appraisal of his ministry. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 11, he says, I have become foolish. He talks about boasting and things he doesn't really want to boast in. He says, you yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been condemned by you, or excuse me, commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am nothing. <laughs> that was Paul's estimation of himself, that he was, in truth, nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 through 10. I can just read it to you. Paul says, I am the least of all the apostles. I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, but uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That is a humble minister. That's a ministry that we want to emulate, that we want to follow, that we want to copy, we want to imitate. 
is we, we resign ourselves to the sovereign grace of God in our ministries to say, whatever God wants me to be, that's what I'll be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul really sensed and he really felt the depth of the grace that was given to him. I don't know how a minister can be prideful. I really don't. I don't know how I could ever be filled with pride. I don't know how anybody who has been called to preach the unsearchable and unfathomable riches of Christ could ever stand with a prideful, haughty heart because he has been the recipient of just immense grace. He has been given the grace not only to be saved, but then to declare that glorious salvation to others. That truly is a beautiful depiction of God's redeeming grace in the life of an individual. This is what he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I don't deserve it. He says, to me, the very least of all the saints. First he said he was the least of the apostles. Now he says, I am the least of all of the saints. He says, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul stood in awe of his calling. And what made him so incredibly awestruck was the fact that he would be the recipient of such grace that a former blasphemer, a former uh, uh, violent and uh, persecutor of the church, a violent man, insolent man, that he would be so graced by God so as to be able to be an ambassador of this good news. Paul is answering all of the critics here. And if you want to know what Paul is really getting at here is their heart. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.12 because there you really get to the root of the issue of all false teachers. All false teachers falter at this point right here. It says, we are not again commending ourselves to you, but we are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. See, a false teacher cares only about the surface level presentation of a ministry, only the surface level influence that he has on others. And ultimately, as Paul says in Galatians, it's only for themselves. They want to make much of you so that you will make much of them. Paul says, no, they take pride in appearance only and not in heart, meaning they care nothing about the character of the man. All they care about is the influence of a man, the power of the man, the prestige of a man, the, 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 the celebrity status of a man. They just want to gain a following so that they can build up their own reputation, if you would. All they care about is their own kingdom. They don't care about the kingdom of God. How do you know? Because they don't care about the heart. They're not concerned with true godliness, true sanctification. These false teachers were without understanding, Paul says. They're without understanding because they're too full of themselves. They're foolish and they're full of themselves, and they're self-centered. James says in James chapter 3, verse 16, wherever selfish ambition is, every evil thing will be there. Amazing. 
An amazing indictment of the human heart. Of the human heart. MacArthur says, they were self-centered, self-satisfied, and self-deceived. And that's right. That's exactly right. Now, Paul gives us, by contrast, the wisdom of a humble ministry. The wisdom of a humble ministry. And here we have a few verses, okay? Verse 13 to 16 really is the, is the, is the capsule of this context. It says, but we will not boast beyond our measure. So that's the contrast. They will boast beyond their measure. Paul is saying, we will not. But within the measure and the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you, for we are not overextending ourselves. He says, as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in another man's labors, but, in the, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. So, there's a lot there. Let me see if I can break this down in three simple observations. Number one, a humble ministry allows God to determine its success. The Apostle Paul is quite content with letting the Lord determine the extent of his ministry. He is ready to resign himself to the sovereignty of God. He says, look, whatever God wants to make of this ministry, it's up to him. Wherever God wants to take me, it's up to him. You remember in Acts, he had a desire to go up to a certain region and the Holy Spirit forbade him. No, you won't go there and make disciples. And he was sensitive to God's leading and God's spirit and God's sovereignty and saying, this is as far as you go. By the grace of God, he is who he is. And so that for Paul, it is unthinkable, unthinkable to boast in his own labors or to boast in the labors of another man. He doesn't want to take credit for what others have worked for, and neither should we. Our ministry doesn't take credit for another church's ministry and what they do across the street. Each, each church, I believe, has been given a God-ordained sphere of influence, and we need to be content it's so amazing to me, but that so many pastors are so quick to idolize growth and numbers and influence and a big name and a big presentation and a big building and put the whole church in debt. I'll tell you, some pastors, they are intoxicated. They are, they are idolatrous with numbers. It's amazing because people are in the ministry for the wrong reasons, they will compromise in every area of ministry. It's amazing to me. By contrast, Paul wasn't like this. I want you to do me a favor and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God is the one that set the standards for Paul's ministry. God is the one that sets the standards for all ministry. This is why it is so foolish my dear friends, to form factions around personalities, celebrityism. Celebrityism in the church should be forbidden. It should be forbidden. A pastor should not have to walk around with an entourage of security guards. His life is an offering. The Bible says the greatest among you is your servant. He should be your servant. 
But I want you to see that this is consistent Pauline theology. Look at verse 1. You know this classic passage. Let me point out a couple of things here. He says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. Why? Why did he deem them so immature? I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Christians are not to be like mere men. We're to be different, set apart, different, distinct, distinguished, set apart for the things of God. He says, for one says, and then he crystallizes what he means. This is the root of the problem. Some says, I am of Paul. Another says, I'm of Apollos. Are, not you, are, are you not mere men? He says, what then is Paul? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. God made John MacArthur who he is. God has made R.C. Sproul who he is. God made Jonathan Edwards who he was. God makes John Piper who he is. God raises these men up, and he apportions to them a certain amount of ministry. And he says, in this much ministry you shall have and no further. And some are given just incredible extents of ministry. You know that, that Spurgeon was so influential in London when he was alive, everybody knew who Spurgeon was. There was standing room only. People were banging down the doors trying to get in the Spurgeon's service. At times he would preach to a church of 10,000. And that's hard to do back in the day when they don't have, you know, coliseums like Joel Osteen has. Not that anybody here would ever run off to go there, but, um, but you see the sovereignty of God in all of this, and you see the humility of Paul. He says, look at verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. Oh, I tell you, a good ministry, this is what a good ministry is. They give all the glory to God for everything, for everything. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. That's the kind of growth that we want. That's the kind of growth we want in our church. God caused growth. God centered growth. God birthed growth. James chapter 1 verse 17 and 18, it says, God by his word gave birth to us. And that's the type of ministry that we want to see. So we want to get out of God's way and just say, Lord, we submit to you that this is the pattern that you've given us to. This is the way you want us to conduct ourselves in the church. We're going to follow your word and we're just going to submit to your sovereignty and whatever you want to do with it, you do with it. And, and the second thing is this, not just the fact that a humble ministry allows God to determine its success. A humble ministry refuses to take the credit for the work of others. You can't boast in what others have done. You can't take credit for conversions you didn't cause. You can't take credit for discipling somebody that you did not disciple. You can't take credit for any of that. But Paul knows that he is within his sphere of boasting. He says, for we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. 
In fact, he did. As a matter of fact, he says, we were the first to come to you. So if anybody has bragging rights here, Paul does. He was the first missionary there. He was the first one to bring the gospel to the Corinthians and see a church be born. But as is so often the case, people rise up from within or from without, and they begin to try to unsettle the church. You can see this on mass scale if you look over the denominational landscape of the evangelical church. You can see how Presbyterianism first began, conservative, solid, sound. And then, little by little, because of the emergence of certain false teachers, certain corners of every denomination go astray. Wish that we could spend more time there. The other thing is this, a humble ministry is also a gospel-centered ministry. Look at what he says. Speaking about boasting, the boasting that he hopes to do is in connection with the hope that he has. Look at what he says here in the text. What verse is this? He says in verse 15, not boasting beyond our measure, okay? But this is the boasting he does want to engage in. But with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you. And what's the point? Self-edification? Is Paul just looking to be affirmed by the Corinthians himself? No. Paul was a gospel-centered minister. Look at what he says. He says, no, he says, but beyond that, he says, so that so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you. I love Paul because he is so gospel-centered. He's so missionary-minded. He always has the advancement of the gospel in his heart. That's what he always has. You want to talk about a visionary for the gospel. Paul didn't see the Corinthian church as an end to itself. He saw it as a launching pad for the gospel to go even beyond the regions of Corinth. May God in His sovereignty be so pleased to move among us that our church would just be a, a stepping stone, a launching pad into all the nations of the world. He can do it. Thirdly, I wanna, we looked already at the foolishness of a man-centered gospel, at the wisdom of a humble ministry, or a foolishness of a man-centered ministry, excuse me, I keep saying that. I'm so used to thinking of man-centered gospels as things that you attack, you know, but anyway. Uh, but thirdly, he gives us this, this final point, and that is this, the power of a God-centered ministry. Look at the text, verse 17. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that will be approved but the one whom the Lord commends, that is the one that will be approved. I believe that the Apostle Paul was gripped with the fear of God at this point when he even thought about this. I just want to read to you now 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. He says, Therefore I make it our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. That's breathtaking for every person here. I would say even more so for the pastor, the minister. You know, you know what James says? 
James chapter 3, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. And I take that to mean eschatological judgment, not just judgment criticism from other men. Oh, that's true, and that can be painful, and that at times can be very stressful and all of that. But I believe that he is speaking about the judgment seat of Christ there, that we will receive the stricter judgment. The minister comes into the ministry with one overarching prayer. God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy. But look at the manner of this boasting, friends. He who boasts is to boast in the Lord. I want to close this message with an evangelical message. I want to bring you back to the gospel here. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Or excuse me, chapter 9 verse 23. Another very familiar text, but a very important text. Talking about our proper sphere of boasting. I want to remind us all of this simple thing because we live in a world saturated with pride. Saturated with the glory of man. Saturated with what men can do. The applause of what we love to be stroked by other people. We loved our ego to be built up and stroked by others. That's just the way our sinful hearts work. I mean, think of Hollywood, for example. I was reading one commentary. Think of Hollywood, for example. I mean, just a, just a society of self, self, self. Look how great she is. Look how beautiful she is. Look how great he is. Look how tough and buff and good-looking. And it's just self. It's just, a, it's just a, a, a citadel of idolatry. That's all it is. A narcissistic world of man-praise. I can go on describing it for you, but look at this. Verse 23 says, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. That is where all of our boasting ought to be. It's in the sphere of the Lord, what the Lord can do, not in what we can do or what others can do. Don't be so impressed by other people. Don't be so dazzled by the beauty of other people. Don't be so impressed by the achievements of other people. Don't be so impressed by the minds of other theologians. Give yourself to the mind of God above everything. Give yourself to God. Boast only in the Lord. We should boast only in the Lord because we realize that without the Lord, you and I could not achieve one single thing. We couldn't take our next breath. Our heart wouldn't beat one more second. Without the Lord, you couldn't have got here safe in your car. Without God, you're not going to get home safe in your car. Without God, you're not going to stay out of financial despair. Without God, you're not going to stay out of health problems. Without God, you're not going to end up in an insane asylum or on the streets. Don't think it can't happen to you. A couple of choices and you're there. 
And it's only by the grace of God that we are kept from our own destruction and from our own foolishness and from our own demise. Only the grace of God, brothers and sisters, only God's grace is keeping you believing in the gospel today. Therefore, what do you have to boast in? What have you received that has not been given to you? Nothing. God gave us salvation. God gave us the family that we have. God gave us the health that we have. God gave us the, the nation that we live in. God gave us the freedoms that we enjoy every day. God gives us the food on our plate. God gave us everything for our enjoyment and for His glory. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, it could be the smallest thing, whether you eat, whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. It could be the smallest thing. You know, I was on a diet here lately, and um, yeah, I know. I don't talk about myself much, but here we go. And, uh, you know, they give you certain substitution shakes. You've got to take a rep meal replacement shake. These things are miserable, you know. <laughs> they really are. So I just decided to, I think I lost more weight because I decided to just cut back on the shake. I didn't even want that much of it. So it's just the less and less I got a drink of that. I appeased my conscience, and, you know, so I did what it required but, but even for that little worthless milkshake, you have to do it to the glory of God with a thankful heart, thanking God. Let's be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters, we grumble, we complain. I pray that God would make us so filled with the joy of the Lord that as we boast in the Lord, we can't complain anymore. We don't grumble. We don't grumble. God needs to root that out of us. When a person is resolved to boast only in the Lord, it means that he is surrendered. Your life is surrendered to the Lord. You can't boast in anything else when you're surrendered to Him because you hold all of life with an open hand. You no longer are looking to your own abilities and what you can do, but you're surrendered. I remember a missionary friend of mine, his name's David, went over had dinner with him. This was, oh, probably over a year, two years ago now. And his testimony was so glorifying to God to me. It was just, it just really ministered to me. He was a wealthy businessman. He had it all going, so to speak. He gets radically converted, radically converted to Christ. And you know what he told me, almost with tears in his eyes, he said, I prayed, God, take the rest of my miserable life and use it for your glory. I've spent every second on myself up to this day. And David is now in China, ducking the government and the secret police there, trying to stay out of jail, and spreading the gospel, and glorifying God, and boasting only in God, and only in the Lord, no longer boasting in his riches, no longer boasting in his wisdom that he thinks got him there, no longer boasting in his own strength and his own endurance to get after it. But he is resigned to boast only in the Lord. And this is exactly what Paul says. You know, the Lord loves to use weak things, doesn't he? He loves to use weak people. They don't have a lot to offer. He says, uh, Paul says in Corinthians 12, 9, you know this verse, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. We can't impress God with your power. God likes to work through weakness, brokenness, contrition, 
Empty yourself and He will fill you. Less of you and more of Him. That's the way it works. He says, he says more, Therefore I would rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with weakness, insults, distress, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. That is the life of a surrendered Christian right there. Willing to be weak so that God can be strong. Willing to have no glory of your own so that He takes all the glory all the time in all of your life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, if we're honest with ourselves today, we confess that we have far too much glory. We have far too much pride in our own hearts. We want to boast in our own abilities and in our own gifts that you've given us in our own riches and finances. And God, we pray that you would take out all of those idolatrous impulses out of us and give us something far better. Give us something far better, Lord. Help us to be like Paul, like Jeremiah. Help us to be resolved to boast only in the Lord. That's what we want. We want to boast in you and only in you. And we pray, God, that you would receive glory from us as we choose to empty ourselves of ourselves, as it were. Help us, Lord, to realize just how dependent we really are. Oh, Lord, the Bible says that our breath is in your hand. The Bible says that you can summon us at any time, that our soul could be required of us of any moment. And so, God, we echo the prayer of our brother David. We've lived far too long all for ourselves. Please use the rest of whatever remaining moments we have on this earth to glorify your great name. We will never regret it. And in eternity, we will praise you and praise you forever. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.